G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day dad, how are you going today? Good, thanks Rowan. Good to join you again on the podcast and how are you going? I'm going well and oh, I suppose we can just let everyone in and this is slightly related to today's episode that we've just done a webinar together and my first webinar dad so really enjoyed the opportunity to uh jump on and and yeah have a bit of a chat about mental health and a few other things and thought basically through that webinar that we did it almost stimulated a bit of conversation for us and a bit of thinking and so we even thought we could get another episode out of of what we spoke about so we've called today's episode your active recipe for mental health so do you want to just add to that a little bit dad in terms of where did this idea come from and what are we going to be speaking about today Okay, so as you say, we did a webinar together and that was for the Art of the Minds Festival and the topic was about creative ways of accessing mental health support. So thinking of what are some of the ways of bolstering your mental health and addressing your mental health apart from the traditional ways of seeking psychological therapy, for example, and certainly face-to-face therapy. And it got us thinking about that and one of the main things that came up from what we were thinking is that When we talk about ways of bolstering your mental health, how important it is for people to have their own recipe for that. It's a bit individualised. We'll talk about that a bit further about how that works. But also it's important that it's active. It's your, your own active way of following through. You're not just passively following through some prescription of what you should do. You're not just picking up on other people's ideas. So what we're looking at is your active recipe for mental health and for mental health we're not just talking about mental illness or addressing mental health problems it's what's what is your recipe for maintaining good mental health because the best way of addressing mental health problems is to well not have such severe problems in the first place certainly through much of our life there'll be a time when we're likely to have some significant problems or sometimes but we hope that most of the time we enjoy fairly good mental health well what's our active recipe for that and I suppose it's even worth mentioning as well this came up in the context of like as you said creative approaches to accessing mental health support like we spoke about things like you know apps and podcasts and all this sort of stuff and like in some ways we're we're so lucky in today's day and age that there really is so much out there that we can draw on in terms of resources and supports and things like this but in some ways it can be a little bit overwhelming at times to kind of go oh well you know what for example would be the best app for me to download that's going to help me or you know what's a podcast that I can listen to that's going to help me and I think we really had a sense that the more that we can almost have this idea of what is our individual recipe or what is our formula for flourishing in some ways and not just looking at it in terms of oh how can I make myself better when I'm depressed almost looking at it in terms of well what you know what are the things that work for me in terms of being able to lift my mood and keep myself in a, a good space overall I guess and so we thought we'd even I suppose build on that a little bit today so suppose, Dad, if we just start with maybe some of the principles that are involved in this, because we'll have a bit of a chat about maybe what people's individual recipe could look like a little bit later on and maybe some of the elements that could be involved in that. But it's worth having a bit of a discussion a little bit more broadly first. So what are some of the principles involved in finding your recipe for mental health? Okay, well, look, I think probably in some ways what makes the biggest difference for our mental health or influencing our mental health is that we take an active approach to it. 
This even means if we seek therapy or go and talk to your GP or certainly if you're following through with a psychologist, it makes a big difference if you've got some idea of what you're particularly looking to work on or address. So you're going to get more return from that. And so that's where the first question we ask as a psychologist when we see a client is, what do you hope to gain from seeing me? This is actually encouraging the person to be active in thinking of what they want, what direction they want to go in. Now, another aside with that is whenever we look at a particular kind of intervention, for example, relaxation or mindfulness techniques, we know these techniques work best if people approach it in an active way. They're not just doing something because they were told to do it and they passively spend 15 minutes in a quiet room with slow breathing because they were like told to do that. It's actually practicing a skill, like learning to ride a bike. It's practicing something again and again and again in an active way and being aware of what you're doing, gaining from that feedback so you make progress with it. So an active approach will make a difference to what benefit we get from any approach or technique that we use. But the other thing is a lot of things that we do for our mental health occur outside of therapy. We'll talk about things like sleep and exercise, for example. Different things that make a difference to our mental health occur in our everyday life. We might talk about it in a therapy setting, but it's how we manage that generally. And so again, if it's things that we actively focus on, like we actively consider our sleep, we actively consider how we go about our exercise, that will make a big difference to what benefits that we get from it. And so following on from that, I'd also say the other thing is awareness. If we're going to take an active approach to our mental health or or look at what's part of our recipe for enjoying a certain level of well-being, it's being aware of how, for example, exercise affects us, of how sleep affects us, about how interactions with other people affect us. So the more we're tuned in to our mind and body, the more we're aware of ourselves and how we feel if we engage in certain kind of tasks or activities, that will help. But what we're highlighting here is your own recipe means actively choosing the things that make a difference to you and support your ongoing positive mental health. Well, I think that's such a good point. And I suppose what that does is it opens up more possibilities for us as well because I think there can be a little bit of a sense with, say, some of this stuff, with looking at your mental health recipe. Well, it's almost like, well, everyone knows you need exercise. Everyone knows you need to eat healthy. Everyone knows you need to sleep well. But it's almost like things happen for everyone that means that there's, uh, I suppose, a spectrum of difficulty for all of those things. Like some people are going to have no problem with their routines in the sense that they can, you know, get up in the morning and, you know, go off to the gym and they can, you know, eat well. That's what they enjoy and, you know, have no issues sleeping. Whereas there might be other people who they struggle with all those things in their own different way. And I suppose what being active with it allows us to do is it allows us to maybe recognise some of the elements we need, but there's no pressure to necessarily do them in a particular way. Like, you know, Dad, I'm someone who obviously recognises the benefit of exercise. Like sport is one of my favourite things to do. But, for example, I've, I've never got the enjoyment out of just going for a run for example, I'm someone who kind of needs a ball to chase, is almost how I think of it. But I suppose in taking a little bit more of an active approach, well, for a little while there, I probably would have thought, oh, geez, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily running as much as I should. Like, have I got sort of the, the best way of going about things? But if you do apply a more active approach and go, well, hold on, like, what are some ways of maybe getting my 
level of exercise that I need to get without having to just go for a, a kind of mindless run in the morning. And, you know, like there's things like, for example, you know, I quite like going for, for walks and that sort of thing and recognise that, you know, I'd probably need to go for a kick of the footy a little bit more often than someone who is able to run every day. And, you know, for example, cycling is something that I like to do. So there's almost two ways of, of looking at this in terms of we can look at it from a prescriptive approach of, well, what are all the elements that I need to put into my routines and my life to ensure that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be going okay. But then we can look at it and go, well, what are some things that I can do to, I suppose, get my blood pumping in a different way without having to, to just go for a run? You know, in some ways for me, it seems like a bit of a mindless activity. I, I don't get as much enjoyment out of it. But you can almost have a bit of a play around with these things and go, well, what else could I do as a bit of a substitute rather than just having to go for a run, for example? Yeah, look, I think that's a good example. It's like, what can I do? What might I do that's still relevant? And actually, this reminds me, I was pulled up one time quite rightly when giving a talk about better brain health. And I was talking about one of the best things that you can do for your brain health is physical exercise. And as someone raised in the audience, well, what if some people aren't in a position to really engage in much exercise, like they might be injured or they might be infirm in different ways. And so, yeah, that's a real point. Some people might not have that capacity to go for a run or something like that, and they might think, oh, gee, my mental health is going to be worse than it should be because I can't do this. Now, in that kind of situation, there are a couple of principles. It is important to move in different ways, but that person might spend a brief period of time in the garden where they might just spend a few minutes watering or pulling out a few weeds if they're able to do that. Like there are little things that people can do that still involve moving and that's an important part of exercise is moving in itself. So they might not be able to engage in the physical activity that gets their heart pumping and getting up a sweat or whatever but by the same token it's probably more important for that person to have other aspects to their recipe that help their general feeling of well-being, including a range of activities, even if they're physically restricted, that they find rewarding in different ways, a sense of achievement, a sense of pleasure. So there's more onus for the person to develop more of their own recipe that allows for the things that they can't do as readily. And I suppose that's part of it as well in terms of there's going to be people, as you say, who exercise for them isn't an option, but there might be other elements of their recipe that they can almost say bolster and bring in a little bit more than they otherwise would have almost in some way of making up for it or, or compensating for the fact that, that they're unable to do a particular part of that. Like everyone's recipe is going to look pretty different in terms of what we prioritise. Like some people will prioritise exercise a lot more because that's what's really going to boost their mental health. Whereas for other people, they might not necessarily get the same benefits from physical exercise as, as someone else would. So it may not necessarily be as much of a priority for them. But I think if we can almost look at, say, what some of the elements are, which we'll speak about in a moment, well, then we can almost, say, reverse engineer some of this sort of stuff and play around with it a little bit in terms of looking at maybe some extra things that we'd add and some things that maybe we aren't getting the most benefit from. Well, that just helps us to maybe individualise things a little bit more to the point where we're going to be able to find something that at least works for us. Yeah, look, I think that's a good point. So it is worth looking at some of the elements that commonly would help people's mental health, but again, what we're highlighting the recipe for us. So another one, if we look at any website that promotes strategies for bolstering mental health, in addition to exercise, they'll tend to mention 
sleep and rest. They'll tend to mention diet. But what else? Social connections. That'll be a big one. So potentially a sense of belonging with other people can come from that. But also social support, ideally also a situation where someone has a confidant that they can turn to. Other than that, I'd say one of the main areas is meaning and purpose. So sometimes these days we're looking at they're not just being a mind and body dimension, but also a soul dimension or a spiritual dimension in life, even if we're not religious. We know it actually supports people's mental health to have a spiritual dimension in life that they relate to. And one of the main ways that people might experience that is having a sense of meaning or purpose in their life. And that can include their work, experiencing their work as a calling. It can be to do with their relationships. It might be feeling that they're in a relationship which is meant to be or feeling that one of the most uplifting things in their life is connecting with others in rewarding ways. That can even include things like volunteering as well, which is contributing in a significant way but also for the benefit of other people that's very meaningful. So they'd be some of the main things that I would think of of covering that. So, yeah, exercise, sleep, diet, we might emphasise that. But just say for some reason... It's more difficult for people to engage in that. Their sleep might be disrupted in some ways by noise or they might be having to adjust to a different shift. If they're a hospital worker, there might be different aspects impacting on their sleep. We don't want to start off thinking, oh, that means someone's going to have poor mental health. But it probably means what can you do that might make a difference, at least at the rest level, but also these other components that influence your mental health and your own personal recipe might be more important to draw on to help work around that difficulty. And it's an interesting one as well because even as you were describing that there, like you almost get a bit of a sense that there is this kind of prescription for it. Like, for example, sleep, you know, I think they talk about eight hours a night and all that sort of stuff, but there's some people who don't need eight hours a night. So it's going to look slightly different for everyone. But there was just an example that came into my head about, I suppose, how we can almost look at it slightly differently. And, and for example, social support, like traditionally social support is something that involves, you know, maybe talking to someone, catching up with someone. There might be an element of sharing your feelings in a certain way. You don't necessarily have to explicitly get into your mental health and all that sort of stuff, but even just talking about what you think about a certain situation. Well, had uh, an example last week, and I suppose it illustrates in some ways how I think of this anyway, in terms of if we've got that prescription there, we can almost play around with it for our own way. And oh, this is something that we've spoken about a bit in the past, maybe off air before, Dad, in terms of like, say, sport and all this sort of stuff. And on one level, sport can seem like, I know to some people, maybe a little bit of a waste of time in terms of, I oh, know, you know, and justifiably so, but like we've had some conversations in the past, for example, about staying up late at night to watch sport and well you know what is it exactly that you get out of that but even just thinking about say social support so there was a football game last week which was you know one of the the probably biggest games I've ever experienced in my life as a Newcastle United supported dad and, and it was the first time that we'd had a home game in the Champions League for about 20 years so about 20 years since we'd earned the right to play in this competition and we had a, a really big win and 
for basically days after that, there were so many videos coming out of people all around the world, but people in Newcastle, whether it be singing songs or, you know, putting up videos about, you know, their reaction to it all. And there was this real touch point that people could kind of tap into in a way. And for me, like I in some ways get, you know, an element of social support out of that, of like, say, reading Twitter and seeing opinions of people who you know maybe agree with you about a sort of little niche thing in a certain way or for example one thing that comes up is you know in English football they're they're often chanting during the game and they're singing songs for the players and the club and all this sort of stuff well every so often something comes up where there's a new song that you may not necessarily recognize that's coming out of the crowd and As a supporter, it's almost, oh, you know, what's that new song? I'll I'll look up what that new song is and, you know, I'm I'm somebody who quite enjoys, you know, on on the odd occasion sort of singing along to those songs, maybe even at times after I've had, you know, maybe a a beer or two and catching up with friends. And in the act of kind of singing these songs and tapping into this kind of Newcastle zeitgeist, there's this real kind of feeling of, I suppose, connection and belonging and a real sense of... connection is is sort of one of the main things that I get from it. But in terms of these people from over the other side of the world, who I've never met, you know, the absolute vast majority of them, but I know if I was to run into them in any context, and I've obviously got a whole bunch of friends who support Newcastle and we can always talk about this sort of stuff, but there is almost this kind of intangible sense of connection that I get when, for example, you're, you know, you're reading Twitter and seeing people's thoughts on the game or you're tapping into what one of the kind of new songs that is being sung by the supporters. And I suppose that's in some ways like, like how I look at some of this sort of stuff in terms of, you know, I, I could be a, a sports fan and I could be a soccer fan and I could probably, you know, watch and enjoy those games. But I think in actively considering what I get out of being a part of that kind of quote-unquote community and, and, you know, feeling that sense of connection and belonging, it almost brings in this whole extra arm of things that, well, it just allows me to consider it in a way where I know that I get these kind of tangible things out of it, whether it be social connection or, or even just connection to a, a place like Newcastle, like where I used to live sort of thing. So I guess that's part of how I look at these things in terms of like those things that you mentioned there, of course, we all need maybe a bit of a balance for them. We need a little bit of a, a, a recipe for how they all fit together for us. But I suppose the other aspect of it is looking at, say, certain things in our life that we maybe enjoy and maybe don't want to get rid of in our life. And we can almost put them through this kind of filter or this lens of like, well, what am I getting out of this that is actually bolstering my mental health and is actually sitting in my kind of recipe for mental health which is helping me in the long run. Whereas I think maybe if we don't actively consider some of these things, well, it's a little bit more black and white in terms of, yeah, like, you know, obviously I enjoy it and I enjoy watching the games and all this sort of stuff, uh, but I I maybe wouldn't have as much of a sense of exactly what I get out of, of, you know, just being a Newcastle United fan to uh, continue this example. Yeah, okay, well, look, I think what's going to be obvious to many people listening is they'll pick up on your passion and even your joy when you're talking about this. So this is a very important part of a mental health recipe and maintaining good mental health. What gives us joy in life? A basic way of asking that, it's a positive psychology question, what makes life worth living? 
And I think that for you, following Newcastle, as well as other sporting teams, even though this is on the other side of the world and all the rest of it, you relate to it in a different way. You know a lot about it. Actually, some of your character strengths of love of knowledge and curiosity would come into it. So I think there's a clue about this as well. Partly you're talking about the positive pole of mental health, passion, joy, and then we're talking about flow. And we've had a podcast before about the characteristics of flow. And it partly means that when you're engaged in an activity, like sometimes you watching sport, it's not just passively sitting on a couch, barely aware of what's happening, trying to pass the time. That would not seem to be a very good mental health activity or whatever. It might be relaxing, but not so much to it. But what if you're actively processing what's happening? What if you know the history of a club and also the meaning of that particular match at the time? How closely poised this match is, the relative skills of the different teams, what the predictions are on who's meant to win or not, where they are in a particular table and what consequences it might have for that season compared to the following season. If you look at things in a lot of depth, something that you're passionate about, and you look at it in an active way, and dare I say with a degree of complexity, because as Cheek sent me high, who talked about flow, he talked about flow, that feeling of time passing where you're barely aware of time passing because you're so positively engaged in what you're doing. It involves complexity and an active focus on that. You're processing things at a different level. So one person watching sport on TV is not necessarily the same as another person watching sport on TV and what they get out of it. And yes, we would have had conversations, especially in your teenage years, thinking, wait a minute, are you compromising your sleep too much watching the Tour de France? Or was what you were getting out of it enough to satisfy it so look one of the things i take from this rowan it's not just that you're a sports nut and love spectator sport but as i know recently your podcasting role you've taken that into some work with the afl at the moment the australian football league so that's something new that you're starting as a kind of uh, work focus and career in interest now i think that kind of thing shows that there's a a level at which it appeals to you and you've developed certain skills around it and all the rest of it so watching sport is not just passively watching sport that's an example of people having their own formula And for you, clearly, even spectator sport, but when you're actively engaging your mind and also connection with other people and your passions that way, then that can be part of a recipe for well-being. Well, I think that's very true. And and thanks for mentioning, Dad. I'm actually going to take this uh, opportunity for a a filthy, shameless plug and have started off at the AFL and and tagged is the new podcast with uh, Ruby Slicer and Sarah Hosking. So if anyone's interested in in that, that might be a little bit of a part of of someone's recipe out there for mental health. But Dad, the other point of that that I want to mention is I think when you look at things in this way, it can allow you to get stuff out of, get benefit from things that you wouldn't have otherwise realised that you get benefit from them and look, I had an example that came up recently and I think we've even spoken about it a few times both on and off air but there's that children's tv show Bluey this you know Australian tv show and you know I'm not in the target audience for Bluey in some ways you know it's a kid show I don't have kids all this sort of stuff but I remember it was just watched a couple of episodes you know basically hearing how popular it got in America and thinking Oh geez, what's this Australian product? I better get a bit of a sense out of it. And 
it literally came up in one or two conversations afterwards that I'd had, you know, even say with parents who've had kids and all this sort of stuff. And so I was able to say, have you seen this kid's show, Bluey? It's got this really, you know, feel-good sense about it. It's, you know, you get a bit of a pride in some ways of seeing an Australian program doing so well. There's, I think there's a, a lot of kind of mental health literacy involved in it. But had I probably not had that conversation with a friend and gone, oh, there's all these great things in this, you know, random kids' TV show... Well, I've actually seen a fair bit of Bluey now. And, you know, as I say, like, definitely wouldn't be in the uh, target audience for it. But it was almost like going through that conversation and saying, oh, actually, there's a little bit in this. Well, it can allow you to go, well, hold on. Like, I know it's probably, you know, not necessarily the number one thing aimed for me, but it's actually there's a little bit in it that I wouldn't mind sort of going back to or I wouldn't mind getting something out of. And I must admit, there are times when you might come home from a you know a bit of a tough day at work or you've been reading the news and there's some pretty kind of heavy stuff in the news. And, well, for me, I sometimes chuck on a little episode of Bluey and it just gives you this kind of feel-good feeling and probably without just, you know, basically considering what are the, the benefits that I'd get in this children's TV show, Bluey, I probably would have thought, oh, it's a nice little TV show and never come back to it. But I think if we look at things in this context we can maybe realise that there's a little bit more in something for us than we may have realised had we not sort of gone into that deeper consideration. Great. That's a really good example of something that's part of your recipe. And actually, there are quite a number of adults who watch Bluey, as I understand, but it's just the feeling that you have, it's the awareness that you get. If that's a way of winding down, well, it sounds like a little bit of a positive, fun, light way of of winding down. And so, yeah, like we're getting back to the theme of what works for you and being aware of that. And I suppose one thing that can really come in, like you mentioned it before in terms of the character strengths that can come up, like that strikes me as something that can really help people, I suppose, be guided in a bit of a direction. Like for me, one of the things is, you know, love of learning. And so I know that, you know, I basically, you know, need to sort of, you know, keep on top of my learning and keep learning new stuff. Otherwise, I sort of feel a bit stagnant and all this sort of stuff. And everyone's going to have their own set of character strengths. And so I think that can maybe help people a little bit, get a bit more of a sense of what they could look at to maybe include in their own recipe for mental health. Very good example. And so certainly in positive psychology, one of the main things looking at what makes life worthwhile is being aware of what your top character strengths are. And we've had a number of previous episodes that have highlighted that and ways of gauging what your character strengths are. And for me, one of the top strengths would be creativity. Now, sometimes there can be a downside because I'm taking on extra projects at times that could actually risk burnout or having a little bit more stress because there are a few extracurricular activities on the go. But again, if I stop and remember this is what I'm doing it for and this is what I really get out of it and enjoy that kind of creativity and have ways of maybe containing the time or scheduling things so it works out, then that's part of my recipe. If I missed out on the opportunity of doing different kind of even work-related tasks that were creative, then I would suffer in terms of my ongoing mental health. And I think it's worth pointing out, Dad, just to finish, that well, you'd obviously know a lot more about this than I would, but it just strikes me that this is a big part of therapy in some ways. Like, I think there can maybe be a, a little bit of a sense from some people, and maybe this is something that existed a bit more a little while ago, but there can maybe be a bit of a sense of therapy of, you know, how's it going to fix me in a certain way? Or if I just turn up and talk to someone, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to experience all these kind of negative feelings, but 
therapy is not like that at all. It is really about, I suppose, guiding and supporting someone to find their own recipe. And it strikes me that after someone's had therapy and even they might have got through a really tough situation in their life, well, this is probably something that stays with you in terms of maybe having this kind of consideration about what works for you and looking to come back to some of those things that work for you in order to maintain your mental health. Yes, actually, it's one silver lining that often comes from people having gone through a very difficult time. And uh, yeah, look, I look back to a time in my early 30s when I experienced a very significant depression. And one of the main benefits that came from that is I had to stop and think of what was happening in my life that was important to change. Some things I'd be better off experiencing less of, other things that I would maybe seek out a little bit more, including different kind of work opportunities, things like that. It actually makes you stop and take stock of where you are. Now, if in doing that, and this is part of a therapy situation that often comes up, people looking at what kind of things in their everyday life and their routines impact on their well-being, when we're aware of that, a lot of it is looking to keep that going in our everyday life. That might be hard to do if we're more busy in different ways or have different demands placed on us or if we experience some loss or trauma that can be disruptive. For all of us, when we went through COVID, it might have been more difficult to keep up our usual mental health recipe and routine, so we might have had to tweak it and adjust it. But that's one thing, if we're aware of what makes a difference to us, and if we look to keep that going over time, that's a really important part of our ongoing well-being because it means that if we slip up, like we're feeling more tired or a bit anxious or uh, worried or we're not connecting with people as well, we can think of, wait a minute, am I following through those main things that are important to me in my mental health recipe? Am I finding times for the things that I get joy from? Am I looking at things that also help my physical and mental health generally? It can come back to reviewing that. So again, part of knowing our recipe is if things are a bit out of kilter, it gives us a clue how to get back on track. Well, I think that's such a good point and a good hopeful way to finish in some ways, Dad, because I think some of the nature of these things is, you know, when we're in a really dark place, it can be quite hard to, you know, even think about, well, what can I do to kind of, you know, get out of this situation? But I think if we really have a sense of that recipe, we can kind of go, all right, well, I want to go back to my, you know, my tried and true measures. Well, then if nothing else gives you something to do to, uh, to try and fight some of those feelings. Well, yes, and look, actually, as we were preparing for this episode, a different thought came to my mind than usual as a therapist, I often think of these other things like exercise and managing sleep and diet and our routines, looking at those things as like an adjunct to therapy, looking at what people are doing in their everyday life. So the notion of psychological therapy being a key thing to help the person make the shifts and bolster their mental health. And these other things, considering them is like an adjunct. Actually, maybe it's the other way around. It's these other foundational aspects of our well-being, what works for us, what's part of our recipe. That's the main thing that bolsters our mental health and keeps our mental health going. Therapy is like the adjunct, the extra thing that you bring in if for whatever reason, extra stresses, trauma, demands, whatever it might be, if for whatever reason that's got out of balance. So when it boils down to it, 
even if someone's had several courses of therapy lasting a year. Or for many people, it might be six months, it could be a couple of years. The point is most people are going to spend the vast majority of their adult life experience not in contact with any mental health professional, but managing things in their own way. And so what we're looking at is having our ongoing ways of bolstering our mental health, which is a positive resource. It's a way of maintaining our well-being. Hopefully that builds in a lot of joy for us as well. Well, certainly, Dad, and oh, you certainly stimulated my thinking today and it'll be good to uh, maybe even reconsider things a little bit after we've spoken about this today because I think there's maybe always something that we could look to whether it be add to the mix or remove from the mix that that's probably going to help us. So thanks for chatting with me about all this today, Dad. We've, of course, got the resources available at psychspills.com.au. And if you're listening on the internet, feel free to give us a subscribe and a follow wherever you get your podcast. But thanks again, Dad. I'll talk to you again soon. Enjoyed it, Rowan.